0: When I was reading through the stories of Jesus, way back in May, I took a little prayer retreat. I told you guys about that. And I just could not get away from how many different impossible situations Jesus solved. And uh, I knew then that... When we all got back from summer, this is the series I wanted to talk about. And so we kicked off and we talked about how um, your, your situation isn't impossible. We talked about storms in your life that are not impossible. Last week, we uh, talked about how your sin is not impossible. Now, next week, I'm really working on this. I hope it's, it's going to be great because I haven't finished my research yet. But I want to talk about spiritual attack. Your spiritual attack is not impossible. See some of you think that you just had a bad string of luck some bad situations have happened to you in your life maybe you've just you know been messing up and and you've created all the problem in your life but I want to tell you there's a such thing as a spiritual attack like a true demonic focused Schemed out attack on your life, and that might be what's going on in your family, at work, where you are in relationships in your life, in your finances. And I'm going to show you next week how Jesus addresses demonic attack and what your spiritual attack looks like when Jesus gets control of it. I hope you're back for that. But today I want to talk about a financial crisis. Today's message is called "Your Financial Crisis Is Isn't Too Much; It's Not Impossible." Uh, Jesus uh, deals with someone's financial crisis. But let me start, you know, talking about um, a financial crisis our church had. If you've been going here a long time, you know, this church had an explosive growth and came from just a tiny handful of people. And, and way back in, in 2008, our church had a real financial crisis. I mean, church was growing. Uh, li- literally, the, the church, Daystar Church was only seven years old at the time. And so we decided to be a great idea to buy 44 acres of property and build a 45,000 square foot facility for a church that's only seven years old. That's a little bit crazy, okay? Uh, That's almost as crazy as building, you know, doing four building projects at one time, which is what we're doing right now. Hashtag move from a moment to a movement. Can I hear an amen? (laughs) Amen. crazy stuff like that that's in our DNA we do crazy stuff but, but right about that time like i just knew our church was going to explode it was going to grow and it did man if you were here you know what i'm talking about i mean we saw so many wonderful things happen like we saw just just huge swath of people come to faith just a lot of people far from god got saved you know we saw a lot of drug addicts delivered we saw marriages mended like literally we were able to perform weddings of people who had been divorced and god brought them back together right in church it was such a beautiful time But it was also very painful because the financial collapse, you know, you remember the housing bubble that burst, and there was a global financial collapse all around the world in 08. And our church was not immune. We had a mortgage on this building, and man, it was just tough. It was just really, really tough. We had to make some tough decisions. Every one of our uh, pastors on staff uh, volunteered to take a pay cut. And I, I don't know if they were thinking I was going to go, man, you don't need to do that. But I was like, yep, thank you so much. <laughs> we, we we just all had to just tighten up. you know. One of our staff uh, members just gave his whole salary back, found another job. He worked another job at night, worked for free for the church in the daytime. I mean, it was really a beautiful coming together, but it was really tough. And, and there was one Friday that uh, I was like, Black Friday for me, you know, I can't forget how bad it was. A lot of bad stuff went down, but the church's finances were just in a really tight place. You know, we we closed out that week with cash on hands in all accounts of $8. That's all we had. And we had borrowed as much money as we could borrow. We couldn't borrow any more money. We just were, we were just broke. And we owed on Monday... Like We didn't just owe, but it was due on Monday, $55,000 worth of bills. I mean, we had, just, we had just done all we knew how to do. We pushed it out as far as we could. You know, in our history, we've never not paid anybody. We've never even you know, been laid on paying, but it was like right on the edge. That $55,000 was due. And I'll just tell you, we weren't nearly getting $55,000 in offering. I mean, that was just like not going to happen. It was just not going to happen. And so, you know, I'd like to tell you that there's this, like, if you're sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for this gigantic moment, um, uh, spoiler alert, it didn't happen. (laughs) We just kind of made it through. Okay. Nobody, you're like, man, somebody showed up with a million dollars would have been awesome. Would have been awesome. That's not how it went down. Okay. We didn't have any rich people in our church. I mean, just nothing like, nothing like that was just going to happen. I just went home. In fact, it was my 20 year high school reunion. I was supposed to be the speaker. I called him. I was like, I can't come. I have a previous engagement. I had previously decided to crawl up in a ball and cry. That's what I was going to do. So that's what I did for three days. I just cried, and I, I didn't do anything remarkable. I just, I did go home and cry, and I just got up and preached on Sunday. I just did what we do. We came in and we preached, and we worshipped, and we we sang about a God that can provide and can take over and can and can take us through dry places. And so, how many of you know? Sometimes you sing songs in faith. You just choose to believe them. You don't feel it at all. Did you know that's a possibility? You, some of you think like this is a bunch of fake people up here because you think, well, if they're really singing like that, they must be faking it. Because I know they have a hard time. No, they're prophesying it. They're saying it in faith, even though they're not seeing it sometimes in their own life. Somebody help me and say Amen if you know what I'm talking about. That's what we did. So we just got up and we preached and sang. And you know, you know, nobody gave this gigantic, unbelievable. But that Sunday, the people of this church gave fifty-five thousand dollars. Can y'all give God praise? That's been 13 years ago, but it's still amazing. Amazing what happened that day. And, and you know, so that meant on Monday, we had $55,008. On Tuesday, we had $8 because we had to give <laughs> So, I mean, it was a slow, gradual process. I mean, it was little by little by little. There was nothing super huge. It didn't change in a week or a month or even a year. But we got to a place where our church is so solid, financial. And our church is so stinking generous. I love it. I mean, you don't know a church that gives more money to missions and people in need and broken and, and families. I'm telling you, and, and, and we came out of nothing to be able to give something special. And I'm telling you, I know with my own eyes and my own experience that nothing is impossible. Your financial crisis isn't the first one God has seen. It may not even be the first one you've seen. You know, I learned so much about myself during our financial crisis in the church. What a lack of faith I had. I'm just be honest with you right now. I like our church was booming. People are talking about it. It was one of the fastest growing churches, actually, in America at the time, and and certainly in Alabama. They're writing stories about it. It's in the media. And and here I am. I, I'm a man. I just don't have faith. I wasn't. I wasn't fake. I was flawed. How many of you know you can be flawed and not be fake? I mean, I, I, I was. I was just flawed, man. It was a spirit of fear that was gripping me. At what's going to happen? And, The only thing I did right was I didn't give up. I didn't jump ship. I had options. I could have done something else. I just said, no, this is where I know I'm called to be, and I'm just going to hang in there. And I want to tell you something today. If you're in the middle of a crisis right now, financial or otherwise, you may not feel like God is near to you, but I'm going to read you a story that really proves that God actually draws closer to you the worse your circumstances become. Some people think he pushes you away, he judges you, he says, look at how messed up you are. Actually, I wasn't any more messed up than I was two years earlier when I thought we were awesome. Right, It was just the spotlight was on me, and I was able to see. Do you know the Bible says God surrounds himself with light like a garment? The same way I've got clothes on, God's got light on. And the closer you get to him, the more light is shined in your life. And when he draws you near because you're in crisis or you're in pain, that light is going to show you all the flaws that you thought you didn't have. And that's okay. They were already there. He's not mad at you because of that. Actually, he's setting you up to do something special and wonderful in your life. you believe it, say amen. All right, let me tell you two stories. There's two stories of Jesus feeding thousands with one meal, right? There's one in Matthew 6 where he feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. There's one in Matthew 8 where he feeds 4,000 with seven loaves and two fish. We're going to start right there in Matthew chapter 8. Let's just read the story together. During those days, a large, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion. Very important word. We'll get into that. For these people, because they're already been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. Now, when Jesus taught, it was like revival meetings. It was like people would, would leave their homes. They would follow him along the way. He would teach for days and days and days. And Jesus' followers were the outcasts. They were, the, they were nobodies. They had no money. They, they literally had followed him for days and they had no food to eat at all. And so Jesus said, if I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way. Because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, but where uh, in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? And verse 5, he says, how many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them. He gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate, all the people ate, and were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, and about 4,000 people were present. Clap your hands for Jesus feeding 4,000 people with a little bit of food. Now, this is absolutely a miracle of provision. Because these people had no money. They had nowhere to get the food. They were remote. They were starving. They'd been three days without eating. And in verse two, the Bible says Jesus had compassion. Everybody shout, compassion. That's such a powerful word. Come means with. Passion means to suffer. Jesus suffers when you suffer. He suffers with you. The original Greek for this word means to be moved from the depths of your soul. When Jesus has compassion, it's not that he's looking down on you with pity or feel sorry for you. It literally means his love moves him. Now get that in your heart. He he has compassion and he moves because he loves them so much. Now I'm telling you that because I want you to know this. You don't have to be ashamed of the crisis you're in today. If you're struggling with something financially, you've got a health crisis maybe, maybe it's a family, maybe you're going through divorce, you should have no shame for the crisis that you're going through. Some people wrongly believe that this perfect image of Christianity is everything's going well. My wife, my kids, my husband, everybody's great. We've got plenty of money. We've got the great job. Everybody in the community thinks we're awesome. We're on the you know we're on the ladder of success, and that is proof that I walk closely with Jesus. Let me tell you, that's not supported in the Bible, and it's not. In fact, and, and, and unfortunately. This religious culture we live in, there are some parts of our religion that, that pushes that. You, you'll see these prosperity gospel preachers wearing, you know, $10,000 suits, you know, driving, you know, crazy cars worth $250,000 and, you know, flying in private jets as if that proves to the whole world how close they are to God. But on the other hand, that's never been God's proof that, that his blessing is on your life. And something else you need to know is your need doesn't separate you from God. It actually draws you closer to him. Remember that word compassion? He's moved with compassion. From the depths, the deepest part of who he is, his very essence of being draws people to him. That's what the word compassion means. In fact, nothing that you're going through separates you from God. And Paul the apostle told us that in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love? There's that love, that compassionate love of God. What separates us from that love? Trouble, you're in trouble. You made the trouble, the trouble found you, whatever. It doesn't matter, your trouble. Hardship, persecution, uh, somebody's treating you wrong. Famine or nakedness, there it is, financial crisis. Famine or nakedness, danger or sword. Does those things separate us? Does God look and say, look how what a mess you are. You clearly are sinful. No, no, the, the Bible says, no, in all these things, in every one of those categories, we are more than conquerors through him who what? Shout it out, church, he what? His compassion draws us closer to him. Here's what I want you to hear. If you don't take any notes, and I really hope you take my notes, okay? But if you don't take any notes, if you don't take away anything else, remember this one thing. If you're in a crisis today, you are closer to God than you think you are. You are. He's not. Now, listen, religious people might be strong-arming you because of your, uh, your crisis, you got a a financial or family crisis. You've got something going on. Yeah, there's some religious people that'll push you away. But Jesus, the Bible literally says, I just read it to you, he draws you close specifically because you're in a crisis. And the good news is when he draws you close, he has a plan. He wants to heal. He wants to fix. He wants to restore. And actually, when I read both of these stories, I, I did a lot of study on these two stories today, Mark 6, Mark 8. Both stories, there's four steps to a breakthrough that Jesus brings you through. Would you like to know what the four steps are? That's the answer I wanted to hear, okay? Let me walk you through. I'm calling this Jesus' breakthrough formula. First thing Jesus is going to do, not super fun, he's going to take it. Everybody shout, take it. You're sitting there going, I don't have anything left to take. <laughs> the government took. <laughs> Some of you are like, my ex took. <laughs> Everybody, kids took. I got nothing left to take. Well, watch this. Let's just break it down. This is back to the story. When Jesus landed uh, and saw a large crowd, this is the first story, okay? Mark 6, feeding 5,000. He had, again, the same word when he feeds 4,000, compassion. There's that word again. And then the disciples said, no, you need to send these people away so they can go to the surrounding. Now, they said the same thing the other time. And buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus said, you give. Everybody say it, you give. give. See, that's the first thing Jesus is going to say when you're in a crisis, you give. And the disciples are like, we don't have anything to give. That would take more. So step one, Jesus says, you give. Step two, we explain to Jesus. You're always in good position when you're explaining something to God. Yeah. That's, that's a good thing. They explain to him why they can't give. it takes take more than a half a year's wages. He goes back to them and says... How much do you actually have? And I love this part. Go and see. Some of you uh, wives in here, you understand that. Your husband's like, baby, there is no bread in the cabinet. So you're like, go and look. <laughs> this is Jesus. He's exasperated. He told them to give. They're like, we don't have anything to give. He's like, no, you do have to give. Then they explain why they have nothing to give. And then he says, go and see. And when they go and see, they find out they have five loaves of bread and two fish. And what does Jesus do with it? He takes it. Wait a minute, I've only got, I don't have enough. Five loaves of bread, it's not like loaves, it's like pieces of bread. And two fish. That's two fish sandwiches with some bread on the side. (laughs) Jesus takes what little bit I got. You got 12 men. 12 men who've got two fish sandwiches. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll take that. There's no way to parse it. If you want to receive something from God, receiving begins with giving. There's just no way around it. And I'm going to get to some really good, exciting stuff for you, like, like God dropping stuff into your lap, cash basket stuff. It's good. We're going to get there. We can't get there without starting right here. Yeah. All receiving begins with giving. God's stubborn. A lot of people in this room are stubborn. Don't point at who's the most stubborn in your family. Just We all know. You know who it is. God's more stubborn than that person. I'm the most stubborn in our family. I already know my wife's eyes are going like. I'm the most stubborn in my... God's more stubborn than I am. He, he has a pattern. He knows which, which way it's supposed to go. And when you think you have nothing, the hypothesis says we have nothing. Jesus says, no, you have something. They explain why they don't have anything. Jesus says, go and see. Here's what he's saying to some of us right now. You have something. Time, talent, or treasure. You have something. You might not have any treasure. You don't have any money, but you've got some time. Go give some time volunteer, serve somebody, mow somebody's yard, do something that's not about your need. Maybe you've got talent and you don't have a lot of time. Maybe you've got treasure, but you don't have time. You know, we've all got some measure of all those things. You have something to give. And when you stop thinking about what you don't have and focus on what you do have, you'll be able to give. And the first step of receiving is giving. That's the first thing he does. He's going to take it. The second thing he's going to do is break it. All right. I finally mustered up enough courage to give it to God. Now he's going to break it. Is that what you're telling me? Well, in both stories, he takes the bread, he lifts it up to heaven. And what's he do next? He breaks. Now, now he physically has to break it. If you're going to take, you know, a few, a few loaves of bread and break it up into thousands of, you've got to break it, right? But in a more spiritual, more, uh, more, more picturesque way, whatever you offer to him, he's going to break it apart and remake it into what He's going to make it useful. He he has to start right there. What you have won't be enough. And so here's what I've learned. After serving God for many years, this little phrase has come to my mind. Before the blessing comes the breaking. Let that just sink in. Say it with me. Before the blessing comes the breaking. Say it one more time. I don't want you to forget it. Before the blessing comes comes the breaking. We naturally, every one of us, want the blessing. God, would you answer this prayer? God, would you take care of this need? Lord, would you heal this person? Would you give me a financial blessing? But before that comes, there's a breaking. And Jesus explained it. This is a different place in John chapter 12. He's just teaching here, okay? And he says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat... Now, they're, they're capturing wheat. That's their cash crop, okay? And he says, but unless that falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed. If all you want to do is make bread with this wheat seed, you're going to make just a tiny little bit of bread. But if you drop it to the ground and let it die, it produces many seeds. Everything you give to God, you're going to have to let him break it. And he's sometimes going to let it die. He's going to let you watch your dream die. He's going to let you what your vision of what it's supposed to turn out is going to die. Your plan's going to die. And maybe you've released something to God right now and you're like, "Why is this thing dying?" Well, because before the blessing comes a breaking. He's going to take it and he's going to break it. Now, here's the third thing he's going to do with it. Write this down if you're taking notes. He's going to bless it and we're finally getting there. Bible says he took it he broke it, and he offered it up to heaven, and he blessed it. Now, let me just tell you this. When you give something to God, your relationship, like you, you're dating somebody, young person. You're like, you know, I, I just think when I look into his blue eyes, he must be the one, right? But I'm going to back it up, and I'm going to say, that was a woman saying that. Did you hear my female voice when I said that? Uh, guys, when I, when I look at that beautiful figure, she's got to be the one for me. Like Whatever it is you're thinking, right? You're going to press pause on all that and you're going to say, wait a minute, you have this relationship, God. You you do what you want to do. Before I proceed, before I take the next step, before I try to push this thing and let my, my emotions take over, my hormones take over, God, I'm going to press pause and I'm going to give it to you. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to take it. He's going to break it. He has to break it so he can bless it. He wants to bless it. He wants to put it back in the right place. But when you give something to God, you absolutely lose it. You lose control over it. You Sometimes you lose sight of it. You don't even see it working out. And sometimes you lose your mind when you wonder what is God doing with this thing that I gave to him. Can I hear an amen to that? You lose a lot, but listen, you gain so much more. You gain the blessing of God that you could work a million years and never earn the blessing of God. You can, ladies, you can marry the richest man. He will not be able to buy you the blessing of God. You can be the wisest person. You can have the highest degrees. You can have the greatest achievement, work at the best company, have the greatest career. You will never be able to attain the blessing of God on your own. You have to, in faith, let go of what you have and trust him to remake it, build it, break it, put it back in its place in his order and in his time. And if anybody knows that, it's King David. Do you remember where King David came from, the ancient king of Israel, second king over Israel and the greatest? David was the eighth little runt of the litter thrown out in the middle of the fields. And when the when when the prophet came to look for the next king, I mean, can you imagine a prophet coming to your house and saying, one of your sons will be the next king, and you left one of them in the yard? You had just decided that number eight is no good. Historians and theologians tell us that was probably because they believed that David was an illegitimate son. That, is, that, is, that is his, his mother stepped out on the father. And that's where David came from. And, and so the father had such uh, distaste and such hatred for him. That's the one Jesus chose. If anybody knows, and he, he, he rises to the top and he becomes the the king over Israel, and it is later said of Jesus that Jesus is the son of David, I mean, it's out of David's lineage that Jesus comes. This, this is what David says about when, when, when you give something to God and he breaks it and he blesses it. David says, here's my experience with God. You sent a plentiful rain and you confirmed your inheritance. You, you said to the whole world, these are my children. I'm taking care of them when we were weary. Your congregation, your people dwelt in those blessings. And you, oh God, you provided from your goodness for the poor and then he, he says this, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Every day. Do, do, do you live with an awareness, be honest right now, that every day there is a benefit package on its way to you? Do you wake up every morning and, and believe David's words that, that God has a blessing for you? You know, for several years I rode all around with this tag on the back of my truck. Some of you may have seen this. I drive around one favored. I'm, I'm one that's favored. You know, I, I said everything, it was, it was a testimony and it was a prophecy at the same time. It was me. You know, when you pull up your car, you see your own tag, you know, that's your car. It reminded me every single time, everything you got, that vehicle you're driving is the favor of God house you live in, your children, your wife, this wonderful church, your health. God gave all it. So everywhere I rode around, I just got this personalized tag. It's God's favor on my life. And it was also a proclamation that there's more to come. Man, I got more favor on this way. You want to see if God will bless you, praise him for what he's already done. He'll give you some more. If he blesses you and you become a black hole of the blessing, you don't give him glory for it, you don't praise him for it, you don't share the blessing, you become a black hole, he'll, he'll plug up the flow of blessing. I didn't want to do it. I put it up on my tag, God's favor. <laughs> he did it all for me. He's going to keep doing it for me. And that's all I was saying. I'm one of those that God is favoring. Now, one time uh, I, I had a, got, kind of got cornered up from a Baptist preacher and his wife, and they said, what is that tag on your truck about? And I said, well, one that's favored. God's favor, his grace is on me, and I'm one of those that he has favored. And, well, we thought you were saying you're the number one favorite of God. I said, well, no, I just bought it because I wanted to say I'm one that's favored. But I got back in the truck, and I was like, you know, maybe I am. (laughs) That little Baptist preacher just prophesied, and I receive it in Jesus' name. No, there's no scripture that can prove that, okay? You just have a deep gut feeling for it. But here's the truth. When you know, when you release something into God's hands, that it's, it's never been safer than when it's in God's hands. I, I was talking to a business owner uh, just, just this week on Wednesday. He started his business 30 years ago with nothing. He had no money. He had no, no customers. He had no equipment, nothing at all. And, and 30 years later, he just got offered $100 million to sell the business. And he said these words to me. He said, Jerry, I have been riding God's coattails for 30 years. And I'm not about to get off now. Let I me mean, tell you, when you realize, when you release something into God's hands, it becomes God's. If you let your family be God's family, how many of you know he can take care of his family? It might get in rough se- uh, seasons, but he can take care. If you let your checkbook, if you let your finances be God's finances, don't you believe God pays his bills? See, so here's our problem. We want to give God our bills, but not our paycheck. Oh, come on, y'all. I snuck that in on you, didn't I? You weren't even ready. I've been planning it for three days. All right. You, you got, got a whole pile of bills, and you're just like, oh, God, I give you that. And God responds and says, I'll take it. Now, where's that paycheck? And you're like, but now I got some other plans for that. You know what? What, what had happened was I was going to get me something else with it. You, it doesn't work that way. You you can't give God the mess and not give him the rest. When you give it all to him, when you know that business belongs to God, when you know your paycheck belongs to God, the car, the house, your children, your life, your talent, everything you have belongs to him, he's going to take it. And he's going to look at the misshapen way that you have formed it. He's going to break it and remake it. And then he's going to lift it up to heaven and he's going to add his blessing on it. In fact, here's what he says. I love this in 2 Chronicles 16 and 9. That the eyes of the Lord look all over the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. I love that. Another translation says He will will, uh, show up strong for those whose heart is fully His. When you know not part of you, but all of you belongs to God, He'll take care of you. Everybody say, Take it, it. break it. Break it. it, bless it, give it. This is where it gets fun. He gives it back to you. Hey, God doesn't need your time. He's timeless. He's literally father time, okay? You give him your time, he's going to bless your time. He's going to be better. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your talent. He's the one that gave you the talent and all the money. I promise you, if you put it in his hands, he's going to give it back. Here's how it works. When he took the seven, there it is. He took it, seven loaves, and he gave thanks. That's where he blessed it. And then he broke it. That's where he broke it. Look what he did next. He gave it to his disciples, and don't miss this part. Why did he give it to them? To distribute it to the people, and they did so. Don't ever forget this. God's blessing is never just about you. It's about you. He loves you. You're his child. He loves you, and he wants to bless your socks off, but he wants to bless you plus somebody else that you know. Every time, every time you're in prayer, God speaks to your heart, share what he spoke to somebody else. God blesses you financially, share it with somebody else. God does something big in your life. God's shown you the gospel, go on the mission field, share the gospel with somebody else. It's always about you and somebody else. And look what happens when you give to somebody else. Watch this. The people ate and were satisfied, and afterwards the disciples picked up what? Seven baskets of leftovers. The other time it says they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. When you give it to God, he reshapes it. He puts his blessing over it. He gives it to you and you give it out. That's when multiplication begins. True multiplication begins to happen. I want you to have two takeaways here. I didn't put them in your notes, but two things I want you to don't ever forget. First one is, don't ever forget what he's already done. If God's ever done something for you, got you out of a financial tight, bless you financially can you say thank you Jesus don't ever forget that this is remarkable I just read you two places in the book of Mark where Jesus found hungry people, not just the disciples were hungry but thousands plus were hungry and he fed them and there were leftovers and just you can't really tell if it's hours or days after that, the disciples are hungry again and they're talking about it. They're like talking about what are we going to do to eat? We're hungry. There's no food. What are we going to do? And they're kind of trying to whisper, but Jesus can hear them. You know, when you're whispering, Jesus can hear you. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> I'll just leave that for later. <laughs> they're whispering their unbelief and complaining to everybody. And Jesus steps up in Mark 8 and 19. He says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets did you pick up? twelve they replied and when I broke seven loaves for the four thousand how many baskets full left over did you pick up they answered seven and listen to Jesus and he said to them do you still not understand I wonder if he's not saying that to me today you still not understand it's like he saying, I got this I had this all along I mean I had this from the moment your stomach growled the first time. Already had this. All that looking for bread, breaking it in the hat, already had it. I got you. I got this whole thing taken care of. You're freaking out. You're forgetting that he had you last time. He's got you this time. The Bible says he knows the end from the beginning, that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he'll go with you all the way to the ends of the earth. I need you to hear me, church. He's got this. He's got you. He's got it. Don't ever forget what God has already done. Somebody just needs to blindly accept you didn't get to where you are today without God. He got you here. He's going to get you there. Come on. He got you here. He's going to get you there. Don't ever forget what God has done. Second thing, take away. Don't ever forget who you're praying to. The ancient Jews called him El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. El is God, Shaddai, more than enough. He's more than enough than enough now if, if today I brought a you know a hamburger in here and I just you know I could tell some of y'all were hungry some of y'all get hungry early you know some of y'all get hangry like we got to feed you for the good of the community I had one hamburger and I just broke it up in pieces and I could give everybody a big bite of a hamburger How I many know that'd be pretty good pretty good show you would tell your friends about that. Now I know, I know it's y'all are like it's COVID. I ain't touching nothing. You get your hands on. I know that, but if it wasn't COVID, like, and I could break up one hamburger and give everybody a bite. This story says, first of all, there was a lot more people there. Second of all, they were all satisfied. But but here's the big part. He didn't just give them enough. In both cases, there were whole baskets full of leftovers. Don't ever forget, he is more. He's not enough. He is more than enough. I think our problem, yeah, give him praise for that. He's more than enough. I think our problem is we ask for too little. We are so afraid we're going to ask for too much, so we ask for too little. That- that's what we do. I've got a friend named Rick Bradley. He's a pastor. He and I were with this group of other pastors, and somebody Paid for us, all the preachers, to go eat at Ruth's Chris. Now, that's one of the major perks of being a pastor. People feed you well. If you've never had a steak at Ruth's Chris, you've never had a piece of beef. I just want to say it. It's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, we're down there. I mean, it is so good. We're ordering all these preachers. I'm like, I ordered the cowboy ribeye. God made the cowboy ribeye, it's unbelievable. I ordered a cowboy. It's probably $50. I I don't even know. I didn't pay. Then the next guy got the T-bone, the porterhouse, the sirloin, the ribeye, whatever. My buddy Rick, he's like, I'll have cheeseburger. Because Rick always eats cheeseburgers. Everywhere you go with Rick, he eats cheeseburger. The waiter looked at him and he's like, this is Ruth's Chris. We do not make cheeseburgers. He literally, I was so embarrassed for him. He was in the best steakhouse in the state and he's asking for ground beef. They don't do ground beef, they do steak. You know what some of us do when we fold our hands and pray? We act like we're pulling up to McDonald's ordering the number one combo. That's not the God you serve. You don't serve the God of the number one combo. You serve the Ruth Chris God. You hear what I'm telling you? You serve the God who is more than enough. The Bible calls him Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. El Elyon, the most high God. Jehovah Shammah, the God who is near He is, he's he's more than a small thing. And so one of the reasons I believe we're not getting our prayers answered is we're asking down here and God's more than that. So, hey, it's fine. Pray for enough. Pray that you can pay the rent, but go ahead and pray one more prayer that you can own the place before you're done. Go ahead and pray that you can get the job, but go ahead and offer a prayer that you own the place before you leave there. Go ahead and pray that somehow your kids don't kill each other and get thrown out of school, but go ahead and ask God to make them a Rhodes Scholar and a genius while you're praying. I know you're going, Preacher, you don't know my kid. You don't know my God. He's more than enough. Now I want us to pray today for your financial breakthrough. And when we pray, I I, I, I want to ask you, don't listen to me pray. I'm going to pray the prayer. I'm leading a prayer. Preachers pray through microphones because it's a part of the discipleship process. You learn how to pray and all that kind of stuff. There's a reason for us praying through the microphone. But I want you to pray your prayer. And I want you, because you know what you need. You know what you've been asking for. You know where the crisis is in your life. Maybe it's not money at all. That's okay. Whatever it is. You know how to fill in the blanks. But I want you to ask for more. Maybe you've been asking for less. Maybe God hasn't given you a cheeseburger because he doesn't make cheeseburgers. You need to ask like you're talking to the God who is more than enough.